So Romans 3, and I'm going to read from verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That passage that I've just read, verses 21 through to 26, have been described in rather extravagant terms. Someone described that passage as the most important single paragraph ever written. How about that? The most important single paragraph ever written. Think of all the books that have been written, all the everything that's found its way into print down through the years, and it said of that, the most important single paragraph ever written. So we are moving into something uh, packed with meaning here. We're just going to start into it today. But to be aware uh, of the, the significance of what it says, and hopefully we'll begin to see some of it and begin to understand why it's been described like that. Paul is, has been, since chapter 1, and those of us have been here through uh, the, the weeks, have been following the story. Paul has been uh, introducing himself to these people in Rome. He's going to visit them, he hopes. He's introducing himself to them, and particularly, he's introducing what he believes. And what he believes, he says in chapter 1, verse 16, he expresses it in these terms. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He said his message is the gospel. Other people might be embarrassed to name the name of Jesus, not Paul. Other people might feel this this message is a little bit difficult to communicate. No, not Paul. He says, I'm not ashamed of it because it's powerful. It's powerful to save everyone who believes, he says. And then he goes on to say a bit more. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. So he makes this statement that this good news that he is so excited about is about a subject. What does that mean? The righteousness of God. Well, he goes on then from verse 17 through the rest of chapter 1 through chapter 2 to explain why that is so important. And then here in chapter, two, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, he picks that up again and speaks about, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. So he's picking up the thread of what he said back in chapter 1 and he's contrasting it then with all that is said in the meantime. So he says here, but now... Apart from law, God's righteousness has been revealed. From chapter 117 through to here, he's been exposing 
our righteousness as non-existent. Righteousness God has got, but we haven't. It culminates in, really, in in verse 10 of this chapter. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Our problem, we've got many problems. Maybe if we had a list of problems that we have today, we'd all come up with different things, things we're worrying about, needs that we've got, and so on. Could be health problems, financial problems. Uh, We we can uh, maybe relationship problems and so on. We can come up with any number of problems. But the greatest one, Paul says is the fact that God is holy and we are not. That's our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is who God is and who we are. That God is holy in a way that we we can't understand or describe. But we have all done things wrong. We have all sinned and he's exposed that. And he, he looks at the whole situation of the world that... Nothing has been able to help the situation. God has revealed who he is in creation. We've been singing about that, that we can maybe climb a mountain and we look down from the the grandeur of the mountain. We see the vastness of creation. We look down into the valleys. We see the wonder of what God has done. We see the great God who made everything also cares about a bird that's singing, that a song speaks about. And the Bible says, not a bird falls to the ground, but God knows about it. We can see all of that. Does it help us to know God? Does it cause us to bow before God? No. People have worshipped creation, ecology, the environment, whatever. God has given us a conscience. We all have an awareness of things that are right and things that are wrong. It's built into everyone that's ever been created. Does that help us to know God? No, because we all know we go against our conscience. We all know that we do things that we ourselves admit are wrong. Shouldn't have done that. We say, I don't know why I did that. But it's true. We all do things that are wrong. Creation doesn't help us. Our conscience hasn't helped us. And then God gave us his law. He gave us words. And here in what we call the Old Testament, God's law, telling us what he wants us to do and what he forbids us to do. That's very clear. Leaves us without any kind of excuse, really. We're not left to guess. God has spoken. Has it helped us? Well, no, because we can see what God requires. We think, I can't live up to that. I can't do it. And so righteousness, well, we continually miss the point. We continually miss the mark. There is no one righteous, not even one. We see that in history. We see that in the news day by day. We see it when we look in the mirror. There's no one righteous. Sin is everywhere. Disobeying God is everywhere. That's our condition. And Paul has explained that and explored that through these chapters to demonstrate that no one dare stand before God. Now, some people, uh, we would say, are better than others. Some people are very obviously very bad. Other people, we could say, are pretty good. But in terms of God's standard, well, someone has put it like this. You could be at the bottom of a mine shaft or you could be on the top of a mountain, but in either event, you're nowhere near the stars. 
And so we can say in terms of behavior, someone's really very bad or someone's very good. But in terms of God's holiness, no one's near him. No one's near him. Everyone has a major problem. God is holy and we are not. And one day we stand before him and one day we have to give an explanation for our lives and there'll be no excuse. And Paul says, every mouth will be silenced. The whole world held accountable to God. That is our position. And he says, but now God's righteousness apart from law has been revealed. God's righteousness, it's translated in this version that we're using, righteousness from God. Um, They're explaining it there, but what it actually says is God's righteousness has been revealed. Now, normally that's bad news. For God's righteousness to be, be revealed shows us how bad we are. Normally terrifying, the righteousness of God. But this is talking about good news. It's God's righteousness that he is willing to give to us. God's righteousness is what condemns us because he is so pure. And what it's saying here is righteousness from God. His righteousness that he is willing to give to us, that has been made known. What God gives. We, uh, Pete read from Zechariah chapter 3. In that passage you read about Joshua the high priest standing before God and Satan is there to accuse him. And Joshua's wearing filthy clothes. The devil, therefore, is accusing him, saying, you're no good. And God says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and then puts clean clothes on Joshua. That's a picture of this. Righteousness from God. We know that there's nothing good in us. We know that we can't do anything to please God. Whatever we do, we're doomed to fail. But... God has given righteousness. So Paul has been building up to this through uh, two and a half chapters and having exposed how bad things are, he then says, but, but there's some good news. God has given his righteousness. We've got no standing with God, but he gives it. And because it's from God, it's perfect. God always does what's perfect. Because it's from God, it's sufficient. Because it's from God, it's eternal. This is the total answer. This is what enables anyone to know God. This is what it means to be a Christian. Righteousness from God has been given to us. Before, aware of our sin, aware that we can never be good enough, aware that God is always out of reach, and anyway, how dare we even think that he would take any notice of us because we know we've done wrong. Now, righteousness from God, perfect, sufficient, eternal, not temporary, doesn't change his mind, it's given to us. And it says, apart from law. Apart from the old system of law where it was a matter of do this and you will live. The problem was we couldn't do it. This is a totally new arrangement. The law is a bit like a treadmill where you're forever moving, but at the end of the day, you're no further forward. 
working hard, trying to please God, but actually you're still a failure because God is still out of reach and you still have done wrong. And anyway, if we could even live a perfect day, it wouldn't cancel out yesterday because we're supposed to be perfect anyway. So law doesn't help. Law can only make us aware of our sin. And indeed, because of our nature, when God tells us not to do something, that's the very thing we find we want to do. But now this is apart from law. God's law revealed God's holiness, but it didn't help us. It just showed us how we should be, and we couldn't do it. Now righteousness apart from law, a totally new arrangement. It's nothing to do with our efforts. Nothing to do with our hard work. Because our hard work doesn't achieve it. Righteousness from God apart from law has been revealed. The amazing thing is, God is the one we have offended. God is the one we've rebelled against and rejected. And the one we have offended has done this. He has turned around and said, I will now give perfect righteousness to you as a free gift so that all that you are is covered. All you've got to do is admit who you are and admit you need this. And then it's covered freely forever. That's the good news. That is what is unique about the Bible. That is what is unique about Christian faith. There are many religions in the world, but there is no other answer to man's sin. There is no other religion that even addresses the issue in realistic terms. But here is righteousness that totally covers who we are, given. And it's apart from law. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. It's freely given. And Paul goes on to say it's apart from law, But actually, the law and the prophets testify to it. Why does he tell us that? Well, he wants us to know that this was always God's intention. That God is not the kind, God is not like us. We, We do things by trial and error. We try something or it didn't work, I'll try something else. And I don't know about you, but my life is littered with things that I tried to do and I couldn't do. You know, you, you, DIY jobs, among other things, where you have a go at it, it doesn't work, we have to do something else. And the worst thing Mary knows is to say, I wonder if so-and-so could do it. You know, your male pride is hurt. How dare you even think of anyone else helping? I will do this if it kills me. But, you know, we try and very often fail. God isn't like that. God didn't give the law and think, I didn't work. Um, what should we do next? No, Paul says the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament, in other words, was always designed to point towards this great solution. And so, right through the Old Testament, there are pointers towards what God was going to do. Read your Old Testament history. You read about Abraham. He's pointing to justification through faith, which is what Paul is speaking about here. Read on about the prophets, and they're pointing forward to a great prophet who is going to come. The priest, who is pointing forward to a perfect priest who's going to offer a perfect sacrifice. The temple, the nation, all of these things, all pointing forward to the final solution, the perfect solution, who is Jesus. Now, Paul makes that clear. This is not something new. Something new has happened, but it was always God's plan. 
Now, it's important we get hold of that, and I'm not going to stress it now, but I'll just say it here. It's important we get hold of it because there are a lot of other ideas around. Tune into some of the stuff, for example, on God Channel, and you'll often hear a very different approach as if God's intention was always that Israel would be his people and they rejected Jesus. And so now there's a kind of temporary phase of Christianity, but ultimately it's all going to come back to Jerusalem. It's all going to come back to Israel. That was always God's plan. And so really, if we've got any sense, we'll support Israel. Israel can do no wrong. Why not move to Israel? Let's observe the Feast of Tabernacles and so on. You'll hear that kind of stuff. Now, Paul, a Jew, is saying the law and the prophets point to Jesus. It's not about Israel. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about, that was all a pointer. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus, who is the perfect solution. We need to understand that. And as we understand that, we see how wonderful God is. We see how perfectly in control he's always been. He is the Lord of history because he's the Lord of the whole world. So right through generations, he is working history towards this moment. But now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. God is in control. As we hear the news these days, we see the nuclear threat. We know about al-Qaeda, the Taliban. We wonder what's going to happen in Afghanistan. What's going to happen in Pakistan? What, how's it all going to work out? And we can read the news and we think, what, what, what next? Well, whatever next, God is in control. He's always been the Lord of history, the law and the prophets, right through Old Testament history, working towards a culmination, and we're working on towards a culmination. When this Jesus that Paul is speaking about comes back, that's going to happen because God is sovereign. He is in charge. He's not a helpless observer of world history. He is the Lord. In the Old Testament, in the the book of uh, Job, Job has gone through many experiences and he comes to a fresh understanding of God. And he says in Job 42, verse 2, I know, he says to God, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. That's a big realization. God, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. That's God. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah also understands God in those terms, just how great God is and how very much in charge he is. And so in Isaiah 14 and verse 27, he says, The Lord Almighty has purposed. Who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? When God plans to do something, it happens. He's purposed. Who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? And God always planned to send Jesus. And through all through through Old Testament history, of all those things are happening, God is working it towards a moment. And that moment, Paul says, has arrived. But now, a righteousness from God has been revealed. Those words, but now... Incidentally, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of the mid-20th century, said 
there's no more wonderful phrase in the English language or in all of literature or whatever than these two words, but now. And he then proceeded to speak about them for at least three whole pages in his, uh, uh, when he was uh, expounding all of this. I think there was a whole message, but now, well, we're not just focusing on those words, but they're wonderful words. Because Paul is saying, we can't help ourselves, we have sinned, we can't possibly, there's no way that we can ever be right with God. And he, we almost come to a place of despair where every mouth silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's us. But, ah, oh, it changes. But now... And now he's referring to something that has recently happened as he is dictating these words. It's a new day. It's different. For generations, that's how it's been. But he's saying, but now, now it's different. That's how it was. But it's not like it anymore. This wonderful, but now, it changes everything changes everything in world history. It is a different day. These two words represent a kind of crossing point from the wrath of God to the righteousness of God, from being under God's judgment to being able to know God. It's the, the crossover from one realm to another, the checkpoint out of law into grace. But now something has happened. And what is the something? Well, it's someone. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, he says. To all who believe. What has happened? What has happened is that God sent his son. Earlier in our worship time, Ginny prayed a wonderful prayer. And I thought, just record that prayer and play it now. Because really, that's all I was going to say. <laughs> As she expounded in that prayer, praising God for his hand through the Old Testament and the life of Jesus and who Jesus is. That is the gospel. That is the gospel, the good news that Jesus, God's son, God himself, becoming a human being. God, no longer way out wherever, but here with us. A man walking on the earth. Jesus, God, become man. Living as a man. Growing up with all the temptations, all the distractions that we live with, but living consistently to please his heavenly Father. Tempted, but never sinning. Keeping himself pure at cost, keeping himself pure so that he could intervene in our place Taking the punishment that we deserve. The punishment that we deserve is death. We have sinned. We deserve to die. Jesus had not sinned. And so his death was not punishing him for anything. Because there was nothing in him to punish. So he took our guilt. And he is punished instead of us. Jesus came, lived, and died a unique death. And then, on the third day, was out of the grave again to show 
that God has accepted his sacrifice for our guilt. And he is alive now to save us. That's what has happened. But now, righteousness from God. We can be forgiven. We can be delivered out of this whole tendency to always mess it up, always get it wrong, and come into something so new. And the the reason is Jesus. Sin, you see, must be punished. We kind of instinctively know that, don't we? It's been in the news this week. A man has been given a a compassionate release from prison. A sick man is compassionate. Let him go. And then the outcry. But look what he did. The greatest mass murderer in British history. Compassion is out of place. He should be punished, the voices say. Guess we've all got a line on that one. But the voices that are saying he should be punished are really understanding something that sin must be punished. And if the state forgives, there's a sense this isn't fair. So if God forgives, there's an even greater sense this isn't fair. And so the the spokesman announcing this decision that the, that the guy is going to be released says, but he is being judged by a higher power. You go, oh, yeah. Well, so we all will be. So we all will be. And instinctively we say, and that's right. There must be justice. When we sin, it should be punished. That's what people are saying. They're understanding it. It's kind of got the wrong way around. Individuals should forgive the state should punish. Instead, the state has forgiven an individual saying, well, where's justice? But God doesn't just overlook sin. God cannot just overlook sin, otherwise he wouldn't be holy. Sin must be punished. And it has been punished in a substitute. God himself taking our place, punished in our place. Because otherwise, Individuals should forgive, the state should punish. Instead, the state has forgiven an individual saying, where's justice? But God doesn't just overlook sin. God cannot just overlook sin, otherwise he wouldn't be holy. Sin must be punished. And it has been punished in a substitute. God himself taking our place, punished in our place. Because otherwise, we'd die eternally. And God so loved the world, he gave his son. Jesus died in our place, suffering for us because sin must be punished. Rising again. So we know, hey, God has forgiven. And now the slate is wiped clean. Now the righteousness of Jesus, that life lived carefully to please God, Never sinning, never doing wrong, at cost, pleasing his Father. All of that given to us. But we know we don't deserve that exactly. It's a gift. It's a gift. We can never earn it. And this is the amazing, amazing Christian message. This is the gospel. God's righteousness 
revealed. It has, but now, he says, God's righteousness, apart from law, has been revealed. A unique answer to a universal problem. We've all sinned, and God's provided this unique solution. So when Paul says, but now, he's referring to something that has actually happened in history. He uses the word now, referring to time. It has happened just recently as he is writing. Those words can also apply to our history. They can be our testimony. We can say, once I was like this, but now there's a change. The crossover, the checkpoint from the wrath of God to God's righteousness. And it is essential that for everyone there should be a but now. I was like this. That was how I lived. That was what I enjoyed. These were things I I really enjoyed. I, I, I wasn't ashamed then. But now, something's changed. But now, righteousness from God has been given to me. I'm different. Everything's different. Life has begun. Equally, for those of us who are Christians, when the devil accuses us, which is his main hobby, really, accusing Christians, he just loves doing it, because God has declared us righteous, the devil loves to tell us we're not righteous. And so he accuses us. We had that in Zechariah 3. Joshua the high priest coming before God and Satan standing there to accuse him. So he accuses us. And as we listen to what he says, we can say, that is true. I was like that, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed to me. But now I've been given perfect righteousness. So all your accusations are irrelevant. They do not stick Because, but now, something has happened. A change has taken place. We've got to be clear on it. This is the gospel. The more sensitive amongst us, the more introspective amongst us, will be painfully aware of things that are wrong. Painfully aware of failure. Other people may be slightly more indifferent, but some will be very prone to feeling no good. How we need to get hold of this. Yet that all, you, you cannot say too much how bad we are, but now. You can't exaggerate our sin, but now. It's changed. It's different. Righteousness from God. It's ours. And with that righteousness on, the devil's accusations are irrelevant. With that righteousness covering who we are, We can come boldly to God, and he's our father, and we can expect to receive from him. And it's all free. It's apart from law. Those words, but now, are relating to history, things that have happened, and relating to our personal history. It needs to happen. It is essential that there is a but now in our story. So Paul is writing in a new era He's writing in now. All of that that he's been talking about, that was true, but now it's different. In chapter 1, verse 17, we, we quoted those words. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Here he says, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed. 
In history, it has been revealed. Every time we preach it in the gospel, it is revealed. Every time we preach it, we're saying, talking about God's righteousness, which we can receive. And those of us who have received it need to be absolutely clear we've received it, that we have confidence with God. The gospel reveals this, and we're living in now when this is available. What I mean is, well, Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We've crossed from then to now. Now is a time when we can know a change in our history. Ron was baptized this morning to indicate a change has taken place in his history. There was how he was and there's now. And we're living in now. Now it is possible to find a savior. Now it is possible to deal with this issue of who we are, how we can never be good enough for God, and to have that totally dealt with, where we're changed and we know God and we know him forever. We're living in that day. Now is the day of salvation. So as I said, this paragraph that we've just started to look at has been described as the most important single paragraph ever written. Why? Because it's about the most important single issue that anyone could ever write about. That's why. The most important single issue is our relationship or lack of it with God. That's the most crucial issue. God made us. We're here on his, in his world, and one day we will see him. Therefore, how we stand with him is the most important single issue. And the only, only answer is Jesus. And his perfect answer is righteousness that covers everything that, that we should be ashamed of, that we've done, that we want to cover up, that things that we're not even aware of, that God will expose them at that last day, his righteousness covers it all. Now is the day of salvation. Our conscience needs to get hold of this. But now I'm living in a different day. People who are not yet believers need to get hold of it, to get this but now in your history.